0: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks that you've given us this day, that you've given us each other, that you've given us this place to gather and worship you. But above all, all, we give you thanks for Jesus, who made a way for us to be here, who greets us in this moment and who empowers us now to proclaim and receive and become doers of your good news. So send your spirit mightily in our midst to stir something up within us that can't help but be expressed in the words we speak and the lives we live. In Jesus name we pray. Amen and amen. Theodore Roosevelt was the 26th president of the United States. He was a war hero. He was a Nobel Peace Prize recipient. He was a Sunday school teacher and he was a New Yorker. A renaissance man with a great thirst for life and coffee, he drank a gallon of coffee a day. Roosevelt quoted poetry to Robert Frost. He searched the Amazon's headwaters in Brazil. He climbed the highest mountain in Western Europe as a wedding gift to himself, and he authored 18 books. One of those books, his autobiography, contains a chapter entitled The Vigor of Life, which has become for me... An entry point into this holy season called Lent. In The Vigor of Life, Roosevelt reflects on the nature of success and how people obtain it. And he says there are really two kinds of success, two avenues through which one approaches success. The first kind of success he talks about is the success of great people in great great situations who use their great skills to accomplish great things this he says is like the refined stuff he he talks about um keats writing ode to a grecian urn or lincoln delivering the gettysburg address Uh, great military battles we might add like 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 beethoven writing his ninth symphony or something like that this is the kind of stuff that that for all our hard effort we're probably not going to be able to achieve some of these things at that level, right? I mean, just, this is like just greatness, just great stuff. Roosevelt, uh, as he talks about these things, though, he says there, there's another kind of success, however. Uh, the kind of success uh, that actually he thought was available to him. He didn't rank himself uh, uh, as one of those great people accomplishing great things with their great innate talent. Of this second avenue to success, Roosevelt says this, The second and commoner type of success in every walk of life, in and every species of effort, is that which comes to the man or woman, we might add, who differs from his fellows not by the kind of quality which he possesses, not of the kind of quality he possesses, but by the degree of that development which he has given that quality. The kind of success, this kind of success, is open to a large number of persons if only they seriously determine to achieve it. So he sets up these two avenues in contrast with one another. One, great people, great talent, great situation, accomplishing great things. And and then the kind of success, the kind of greatness that's available when we take just the stuff that we have and determined to use it to do something good. And we hone it, and we refine it, and we work hard at it. He says, this is the kind of success that's available to me, he says, and this is the kind of success that is available to so many of us. I hardly need to say, he writes, that all the successes I have ever won have been of the second type. I never won anything without hard labor and exercise of my best judgment and careful planning and working long in advance. Having been a rather sickly and awkward boy, I was a young man at first both nervous and distrustful of my own prowess. I had to train myself painfully and laboriously, not merely as regards my body, but as regards my soul and spirit. Roosevelt concludes that stories about the first kind of success are important because they teach us inspiration and lift our spirits Studying the second kind, though, teaches us how to achieve similar results in our efforts to overcome the challenges that we face in our daily lives. I had to train myself painfully and laboriously, he said, not merely as regards my body, but as regards my soul and my spirit. Now, Teddy Roosevelt probably isn't on the list, uh, at the top of too many lists of go-to people for your first Sunday of Lent sermon, right? But I do find in what he lays out there in his autobiography, a very useful way for us to think about and approach the disciplines and the promises of this holy season, of these 40 days. You see, what Roosevelt says about success underscores the lesson at the heart of Jesus' experience with temptation in the wilderness. Roosevelt's words help us to grasp the spiritual significance of what Jesus is up to. And if we can grasp that spiritual truth, that we are better able to overcome temptation and steer away from evil when we practice self-discipline, then I think we're in a position to really embrace and experience the wonders and the depths of this holy season. St. Luke tells us that soon after he received baptism at the Jordan River, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led in the spirit of the, led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. Now there's something very significant about Luke's introduction to that story. A famine wasn't the source of Jesus' hunger. Jesus grew hungry in the wilderness because he chose hunger. He chose to follow faithfully the Spirit's lead, to leave food on the table and to fast and to pray for 40 days. He chose to open himself to temptation so that he might hone the skills necessary to maintain his focus on God's will and not in his own. This, I think, is the powerful example from Jesus' life. Uh, This is the powerful example from Jesus' life of the often painful and laborious Training of body and mind and spirit that are at the heart of our discipleship as Christians. You see, there's a purpose for this season called Lent, a goal for which we are striving, and that goal is that you and I individually and collectively would become more Christ-like, that we would uh, that, that that love would grow within our hearts and within our relationships and within us. That love would grow, and that all that is not love. Would decrease and diminish. That's the goal of this season. That truly, the light of Christ would shine more beautifully and powerfully through us, just like the leaves on the trees and the flowers in the ground burst forth in the spring season. That's what we're aiming for this season, and that force that the, the forces. There, there, there's so much, though, that would, that would seem to be at odds with that, right? There are so many forces at work in our lives and in our work, in our relationships, and just in our, in, in our minds that would seem to distract us from that purpose. It's easy to give lip service to the idea of wanting to grow in love, but we so easily find ourselves distracted on the path of discipleship and faith. There are voices that remind us of our past failures. There are voices that remind us of our greatest insecurities, and those voices begin to sound very convincing at times. Lesser lords named pride and comfort and materialism, these can, with great ease, usurp God's rightful place in our hearts and rule over us. That's why we keep this fast, this holy season called Lent, It's kind of like a training session, like spring training for the soul, in which we say, I'm going to give up a little something here, uh, something that's that's not the end of the world. Like if you gave up chocolate for Lent, um, are you going to be tempted to eat chocolate over the next 40 days? Of course, you're going to be tempted to eat chocolate over the next 40 days. If you do sneak sneak a Snickers bar later in the month, is that like the end of your relationship with God or anything like that? Of course not. But... With that little simple thing, giving up chocolate. As you deal with that temptation and you try to lean into it and you ask God to help you to give it up. You obtain skills. You hone your heart and your mind and your spirit so that later when greater temptation comes, you're going to build up some, some, some spiritual memories and some spiritual skills to be able to resist that temptation. Uh, look what happens in that story we read from the gospel today. It starts with Jesus going off and, and, and giving up hunger or giving up food. Right. I'm going to go off and fast, Jesus says. The, 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 the tempter shows up and the first thing he says is, turn those stones in, in, into bread, Jesus. Jesus says, no. He hits them right right where it hurt, right? You're hungry. Make, some, make something to eat. And then the story just goes off the rails. We go immediately from make a little something to eat. So bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And we see that. That, that spiritual dimension, right? it starts so easy. It starts so simply, but it can go off the rails so quickly. And we know that to be true, right? Very few people set out uh, to, 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 to make decisions that ruin your lives and ruin your relationships and ruin your family. No one sets out to do that. Or, you know, if, if, you, if you do, that's a real serious problem, right? But, but we know each of us has within our hearts the capacity to make boneheaded decisions and hurtful decisions that do cause pain and do come at great cost, right? That's why we observe the feast or the fast, to give up lesser things, simple things, so that we can, we can draw from the depth of God's resources to help us live better, more honorable, more godly, more Christ-like lives. Jesus, who had learned something about himself himself And about God during his 40-day fast, answered the tempter, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Ask God to help you give up chocolate for Lent and you just might find yourself better equipped to withstand greater temptations to lie or to cheat or to be an arrogant jerk at some other time of the year. A famine wasn't the source of Jesus's hunger pains. Jesus grew hungry in the wilderness because he chose hunger. He chose to open himself to temptation so that he might hone the skills necessary to maintain his focus on God's will, not on his own. And we must train ourselves, too. But there's more. There's more to the Lenten season than our fast. Because when we talk about temptation, when we talk about the things that cause us to stumble in this life, when we're really honest about it, we have to say, you know what? I've already been through uh, some seasons in my life where I did choose poorly, where I did make the wrong decision, where I did cause pain and hurt. And frankly, the, 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 that, I, that standing here and, 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 and gathering uh, in a community of faith, um, there's a struggle in that, a, a, a need to be honest about what we've been through and what we've done. And frankly, uh, the, we know that shame and guilt are, are one of the great plagues to the life of discipleship and the life of faith, right? People feel that God could never love me because of the stuff I've done. God could never forgive me because of the things that I've done, the things I've said, the actions that I've taken. That's a real issue uh, that, 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 that is undoubtedly present in this room at this moment. Shame and guilt, these things plague us. And if you're feeling that's where you're at today, that you got called up to the big leads of temptation before you were anywhere near ready to face them. Know this at the heart of this season is Jesus's love for each and every one of us. For while we fast and while we hone our skills, we do not do that in an effort to make ourselves more lovable to God. We don't fast. We don't pray. We don't study the scripture. We don't try to follow Jesus to convince him that we're better than we are and that we deserve to be loved. No, we do these things because we know that we are loved. We know that a Savior has come, that Jesus faced temptation, that he overcame temptation, that he went to a cross, that he left the grave behind, that he received new life, and in the life that he received, he shares to each and every one of us that you and I, indeed, that all creation might be renewed by God's love. We don't have to earn any of that. That's the heart of the Christian message of grace. So keep the fast, keep this holy season, Dig deeply into the resources that God has placed in your life, that you might overcome the stumbling blocks placed in your path, that you truly might run with perseverance the race that God sets before you, that you might experience the depth of joy and love and peace and all the wonderful blessings that God could give you. Dig in and go for all of that. Absolutely. But know that you don't have to do that to make God love you. Do it because God does love you. And if you make that your motive, if you make that your your guiding light during this season, if you make that your life's ambition to live your life as a song of praise and gratitude because of what God has already done for you and what God is doing in your life right now, then you will understand and reach a a depth of blessing that you never thought before possible. And Asbury Church will be renewed because of that. And your life will be renewed because of that. And we will bear witness to God's love in rich and powerful ways. last thing to say about this is our church is still reeling, right? From the uh, decisions in St. Louis uh, just, just not even two weeks ago, right? Now more than ever, now more than ever, We need to focus ourselves in the abundance of God's grace. The abundance of God's grace that overcomes all the barriers. Sure, the barriers that are set up out there, but the barriers in our own hearts, the barriers that we set up at the front door of every church. Sometimes those are the highest barriers that anybody will ever face. Uh, The the idea that they could go into a, a church and be welcome and be received and have someone say, God loves you. And have someone say, the spirit can be at work in your life you're blessed. I believe that to be true. So during this holy season, I want to put my heart in a position to walk in that light and receive that grace and share that grace. And I invite you to join me on that journey. Throughout these 40 days, let's go together. Let's go with Jesus and let's, be a true, let's truly be a people of good news. Thanks be to God for this good news today and always. Amen and amen.